Hey guys, welcome back to the show. If you're coming back, if this is your first time, welcome to the show. And you're now a member of my tribe. You're all my goats. And if you're wondering why you're goats, just ask yourself, am I the greatest of all time? The answer is probably yes. So you are a goat. So now you're in my goat tribe. That's how it works. Okay, moving on. Today, we're going to talk about some stuff that I've been thinking about lately, but I kind of just want to ramble at the beginning, share a couple quotes, and just some stuff that I've been thinking about over the week, and then we'll get into the episode. I'm trying to keep going with the episodes and release one every Saturday. So far, that's going okay. We're, we've got our fourth episode hopefully dropping today. And, you know, I had, I had a bunch of episodes recorded and I was like, okay, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. So, to even start the pod, I had to have a couple of episodes ready to go. Because I was really terrified of starting it and then just starting it and not being able to keep it going. Not having any content or not being able to come up with anything. And... There's a lot of stuff that I do want to talk about that I just don't know enough about yet. And I need to read up about and get some books on. Or So, there's a lot of time that goes into it. And I'm trying my best. Hopefully, it stays interesting. For now, it's still fun. And we're having a good time. So, we'll see how it goes. So, to start out, I want to share this quote by Nietzsche. Nietzsche? I always say his name wrong. I'm trying really hard to get it right. But he is a philosopher that I love. He's going to be probably a big part of some future episodes. I know we're going to be talking about uh, the Eternal Recurrence, which is something that he wrote about. And I've been reading up on Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Um, I haven't read the book at all, but... I've seen some quotes and just seen some stuff taken from the book, and it seems exceptionally interesting. But this quote is, The essence of all beautiful art, all great art, is gratitude. And I think that's really important to understand about art. And I think it's important, too, to think of... Goddamn pop filter. Pop, 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 popping today. What the fuck, dude? Um... I think it's important to remember that art can be anything. My art is mostly through language. Um, I write poetry a lot. Um, I, you could probably tell from listening to this that I, I do some journalist-type write-ups. and um, Yeah, I, I love language. I love talking. I wish I was better at symbolic art. Like I wish I was better at painting or drawing or maybe even sculpting because i think it's really cool how people can have an image in their head and bring it to life um that's not something that is one of my particular skills i can do it with words i can i can do it with words but i can't do it with symbols or pictures i think it's important that we all have to find our art and your art could be anything. It doesn't have to be something that is 
learned at art school. It could be building something. It could be spending time with your kids. I don't know. Any Anything could be art, really. You just have to conceptualize it that way. And uh, this Terrence McKenna quote that I really love is... The main thing to understand is that we are imprisoned in some kind of work of art. I believe in this talk he goes on to talk about uh, the fractal flower of time, the present moment, and just the idea that the universe is a piece of art. I sort of think of that like the dimensional cable from Rick and Morty, and maybe this is just one of the channels. But I've been thinking about art a lot this week, and I had this thought um, sort of inspired, well, I guess totally inspired by Harry Potter, but that art could be a horcrux, and that it could be something that stores a piece of your soul. And when you make, when you make art that is from your soul, you're putting a little piece of yourself inside of it that lives on. You're, you're, um, you're making yourself immortal, in a way. And I think that's really beautiful. So, that's just, I guess, my little ramble. Um, times have been weird, guys, and I think, uh, you know, it's like that quote, the darkest nights have the brightest stars. I think that, collectively, the stuff that's been going on is taking a toll on a lot of people. But I also believe that that's a catalyst. Um, friction is what can carve canyons out of a mountain. And it's something slow but steady. And it doesn't always seem like a good thing that things are hard. It, I'm trying really hard to be a pragmatist, but it's fucking absurd, guys. This year is fucking absurd. Sometimes all you can do is shrug and just try to move on. But I do know that there's always light found in the dark. There, There's duality in, in all the things, I guess. So I don't know what that was, guys. I don't know why we're starting out with this, but there's my little ramble. Let's get into the real topic of today's show, or I guess topics, since it's going to be sort of a fun one. So the first thing we're talking about today is thought viruses, and the Cree people had a word for this. When the tribes first met with European pilgrims, the newcomers were said to be infected by Watiko. Watiko is a disease of the psyche and spirit. Essentially, this is a virus of selfishness. It causes symptoms like greed, thirst for power, and apathy for others. It infects an individual secretly and grows inside them if they feed it. It spreads through society, causing destruction wherever it goes. So you could think of this like a computer virus that's reprogramming the system and causing it to act differently, causing it to harm others or self-destruct. But the way that I like to think of it is from the Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, which is the zombie ant fungus. If you don't know about the zombie ant fungus, you should look it up on YouTube. 
I'm not gonna say stop this podcast and look it up right now, but, but, okay. So, basically, the zombie ant fungus can take control of the carpenter ants, and they can actually cause it to, well, they take control of its body, so they cause it to climb to where the conditions are perfect for the fungus to thrive, and then it actually digs the, I forgot what they're called, the, um, like the mouth part, the pinchers, the little teeth, uh, digs them down into the tree so that the ant is kind of like stuck onto the tree, and then it grows fungus out of its head and like kills the ant. Um, super cool. Super cool thing to learn about zombie ant fungus. It's fun to watch. Um, little, yeah. You could also think about it like an autoimmune disease or cancer. Um, similar to maybe like HIV, where this foreign thing comes in and sort of causes the body to attack itself. It's sort of a mental version of that where it comes into your mind and it causes your mind to do things that are particularly destructive and this was a way that the indigenous peoples would conceptualize basically the culture of the the pioneers the people that were the pilgrims are pilgrims and pioneers different do pilgrims go over water and pioneers go over land is that the difference who knows so it's cool to think about you might think a mental virus is, like, kind of a ridiculous idea. And maybe it is. But there's some... But there are some real documented examples of physical symptoms being brought on by unknown psychological factors. The best example of this that I've found is the Dancing Plague of 1518, which started in Strasbourg in July 1518 when Fra Truffaut stepped into the street and started dancing somewhat unnaturally. She did this alone for almost a week, but quickly half a dozen people had joined in. By August, 400 people had started this strange behavior. So, the town actually constructed a stage. They brought in professional dancers and musicians. And they were like, okay, let's just get all the dancing out of this people. Let's just let them dance it, at, dance it right out. We're gonna dance the demons out of ya! Um, that didn't work. That did not work. So, a lot of people died from exhaustion, stroke, heart attack, etc. But, it continued until September, when the remaining dancers were taken to Mountaintop Shrine, where they prayed for absolution. Of course, this didn't work for everyone, but some of the people were cured, seemingly. No one could explain the behavior, and I guess the rest of the people just danced to death. Similar manias took place in Switzerland, Germany, and Holland, though few were as large or deadly as the one triggered in 1518. And if you don't love that example, there are also variations of conversion disorders where people experience blindness, paralysis, or other symptoms affecting the nervous system that cannot be explained by physical illness or injury. Symptoms usually appear suddenly during a period of intense psychological or emotional stress and or psychological conflicts. So, an example of this is hysterical paralysis, 
which is when someone loses their sensory and motor functions because of some kind of psychiatric or psychological stressor. So it's sort of an extreme version of like fight or flight, I guess. In that case, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. So maybe there could be something to the idea. Maybe there are various forms of mental illness as well, since there are various forms of physical illnesses. The Cree call it Wetiko, the thought virus, but there have been other groups of people with quite similar notions. This is usually referred to as demons. Demons are fun. So we all have different ideas of what a demon is in our head. Maybe they're being summoned by someone playing with the Ouija board, or standing in the center of a pentagram with candles holding a grimoire. That's a nice little picture to paint for you. Um, Doing a seance. Or maybe it's more like the exorcist. Demons are taking control of someone else's body. Um, We all know those movies. So it seems to me like they're always portrayed somewhat the same and somewhat different. They are the beings who dwell in darkness the humble servants to the seven princes of hell. Reports from people that have called on these entities using ritual magic report that there is some kind of hierarchy and that demons are grouped by function much like a military brigade, a legion of demons, if you will. Which is an interesting concept and kind of kind of fun. Reminds me of uh, Shadow of Mordor, the video game. If you played that, that's a great video game. I'm not big on video games. I will talk that one up because that video game is a lot of fun. And the orcs, are they called orcs? I think they're called orcs. The bad guys or whatever in that one, they they have uh, generals and it's just like a military thing. You kill off the top ones and then they move up and etc, etc. It's, yeah, so that's maybe another way to think about it. Um, not to go off on the whole tangent, but demonology is actually really interesting. There's a cool list of demons and what religious sect that they're attributed to on Wikipedia. So if you look up demon, that's like a whole rabbit hole you could get lost in. Um, it's like an alphabetical list and it seems pretty extensive. I don't know who is putting the work in for that, but... You gotta add a boy from me. Anyways, let's try to just continue. Um, Watiko was the idea that there's a virus that causes selfishness, greed, and self-destruction. So it isn't really a huge jump to conceptualize a mental infection could be like a form of a mental demon. And maybe you don't like that idea, but at least follow me with the allegory. Uh, things like racism, misogyny, jealousy, hatred, greed, addiction, they're all examples of thought demons. They spread in people's minds, they control them, they change their behavior. They're sort of like an entity that controls you through your mind. And this, this idea has been around for a long time. Uh, the seven princes of hell thing that I referenced earlier was, um, had the seven princes of hell uh, attributed each with their own deadly sin. 
So Lucifer is with pride, which makes sense. Um, Mammon is greed. So some of them I don't even really know. Like Asmodeus. I, I don't know if I've heard that one before. That one is lust. Leviathan. That is envy. Beelzebub. Gluttony. Satan. Wrath. Belthagor. I don't think I've heard that one either. Sloth. So, it's not really an idea that I made up. It's something that people have... People have been using the idea of demons to explain this kind of thing for probably a very long time. But we're going to try to take the stuff we've talked about just one step further and make it even a little bit more occult. Because that's really what we like to do here is just go like a little... We want it to be a little bit more occult. Just a little bit more. Um, it's fun. It makes it more fun. It makes it more interesting. It makes life feel like it's more exciting to me. Like it's not so drab. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just fun. So, if you aren't familiar with the occult or theosophy, or anything like that. It might be a little bit harder to follow, but it does stay on topic with what we've talked about today. So, this is called an egregore, and I hope I'm saying it right. It might be an egregore. Um, either way, it's sexist. Uh, an egregore is basically an entity that comes about through a collective thought form or idea. So... In the Theosophical Viewpoint, we have Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. And if you don't know who she is, she is a modern occultist who... Ha How do I say it? Uh, she did a lot for bringing together Western mysticism and Eastern mysticism uh, ideas, I guess. So sh she did a lot of traveling and supposedly dealing with yogis and different uh adept uh spiritual masters and just she wrote a lot of books about the secrets uh she had a lot of followers she's somewhat famous um anyways so this is a quote that explains how she viewed the concept and she said every thought so evolved with energy from the brain creates nolan's volans which is willing or unwilling, a shape. She states that this phenomena is unconscious unless it is the creation of an adept who has a preconceived object in giving it consciousness, or rather the appearance of consciousness, derived from the adept's will and consciousness. So, it's sort of like the quote, I don't remember who said it, so forgive me. But it's basically everyone's practicing magic all the time. Just some people don't realize it. And you can also think of this like manifesting. So it's it's sort of the basis of manifesting. It's the idea that your thoughts can affect your reality. And that you can create thought forms that will be actualized in reality. Or that will guide you, I guess. So, this quote that I really loved. People don't have ideas. Ideas have people. So, imagine that every idea you have exists the same way you and I exist. 
just on a different plane of reality. We could think about uh, Plato's universe of forms. That's sort of sort of a spin on this. I feel like um, I like to think about it as the universe of possible possibilities. So sometimes I think about the universe of possible possibilities, the universe of probable probabilities, and the universe of possible probabilities. And the idea is that when you have an idea, the idea is not just in your head. It's a, it's a form. It is something that has a shape. And another way that I've thought about uh, egregores coming into reality is like through the Arapnet type thing. Um, like the internet kind of feels like uh, an example. Oh, I heard this example that I thought was really cool. Uh, it's a mother holding her newborn child. As she does so, a wave of emotion comes over her. She offers up a prayer of protection over the child. And as she does, all that love, security, peace, all those emotions just flow over the child like a thought form. Not like a thought form, sorry. Flow over the child, forming a thought form. We can imagine the thought form as sort of a symbolic guardian angel, if that's easier. Or we can just think of it as energy, a wave of emotional energy that encompasses the child. I think scientifically it's valid to just think of it as energy, I guess. But angels are fun to think about too, and thinking about it like an angel is fun too. So egregores are interesting because I think of it like a thought entity that you create in your head, and you could you could feed them energy the more you acknowledge their particular elements, the more you meditate upon them, and the more you work with them. You could think of this podcast as an egregore, because at one point, it was just an idea in my head. It was something that I wanted to do, but that I didn't know how I was going to do. I didn't know what the manifestation would be in reality. I just knew that I had this this idea growing, I guess. So, they say that these entities are best made in groups, and they also gain power through the collective mind. So, this concept is used by many different societies and esoteric groups. For the Rosicrucians, there is a Rosicrucian egregore, which is the cosmic energy field that all Rosicrucians have access to. Whenever a Rosicrucian studies a monograph, conducts a mystical experiment, prays, meditates, participation in the work of the Council of Solace, devotes time to cosmic communion, or creates an inspiring work of science, art, or literature, he or she radiates into space positive thoughts and emotions which benefit all other members and humanity in general. So that's a really cool concept, and it's interesting that it could be used positively and negatively as well. I feel like egregores are... Like, we've been, like, building up from a thought virus to maybe, like, a thought demon to, like, a thought egregore, which is more the idea that th- that our thoughts are entities and 
maybe even the idea that we aren't having our thoughts, but that our thoughts are just entities that are passing through us at that particular time. You could also think about um, coronavirus as an egregore. I don't want to get into this too much because I feel like it's sort of doom and gloomy. But the idea is that apocalypse-type stories, the idea of a global pandemic, it's something that's increasingly talked about in books, movies, television, um, yeah, news. It's just increasingly talked about in modern culture. I would wager probably everyone in civilized society has been exposed to the idea from in some form or another. From zombie movies to movies about pandemics, the idea of some kind of contagion that could globally affect humanity isn't really new, and it's only been getting more popular. So, perhaps, people put this type of energy into the media, and it's fed through our attention, our awareness. Uh, where your attention goes, energy flows. That's a quote that I love about magic, and... It's really important to remember, not just for magic, if you're not into magic, that's cool, whatever. You're kind of fucking lame if you're not, but shrug. Um, just think about it as, yeah. So, if you know about Neville Goddard, then you've, you've learned a lot about, uh, his I am stuff. Basically, the I am from the Bible is stating that you are God, and that you need to remember that you're a deity. And Neville Goddard's really, really interesting. His stuff is really fun to play around with. Um, Some people think that manifesting isn't real, or they don't take it seriously. And to those people, I just, I don't understand it, because even if you don't think of manifesting as something that you can do to instantly change your reality it's still something that is valid as a way that humans human behavior works we have to have an idea before we have an action before we before we put things into a plan before we put things into motion it always has to start with an idea it has to start with someone saying i'm going to i'm going to do this thing and that can be a hard thing to do. One thing, one thing with manifesting that I've had a hard time with is, uh, because I have, like, things like depression and anxiety, uh, I constantly think about manifesting things like car accidents or, uh, I don't know, just horrible things that, like, what if I manifested something bad or, what if I just keep manifesting stuff and all of it is just negative? But anyways, um, back to egregores. They exist in the realm of thought, but of course thoughts interact with physical reality, at least by the way of the human mind. So, the mind creates reality. That's, that's not debatable. Um, there's a lot in perceptual science, neuroscience, that shows that you're, you aren't really seeing anything. You're getting an image based on the bandwidth of your own senses, I guess. We just found out that hummingbirds see more colors than us because they have more color cones. 
So, there are colors that probably don't exist to us that they can see, and also there are colors that don't actually exist. Magenta is not actually a real color. There's no wavelength that is magenta. It's more like uh, an absence of something. It's you, it's hard to explain, but it's very interesting to read about. Um, I don't know why I got into that color thing, but it's it's very interesting. I like it. So your mind creates reality, and I just am further expounding a little bit to say that perhaps if one person's mind can change their own perception of reality, then why couldn't many people's minds be able to actually change reality? And this makes me think of the time that the LSD dropping hippies tried to levitate the Pentagon. If you don't know about this, it's actually pretty cool. It was organized by some of the real heavy hitters of the 60s. And while the Pentagon didn't actually lift from the ground, there were certain aspects of the war that were lifted into the lens of the American public for the very first time. This was actually a major turning point for public opinion about the war. I got this quote pulled up here from Ginsburg, one of the organizers of this protest. The levitation of the Pentagon was a happening that demystified the authority of the military, Ginsburg said. The Pentagon was symbolically levitated. The Pentagon was symbolically levitated in people's minds in the sense that it lost its authority, which had been unquestioned and unchallenged until then. But once the notion was circulated in the air, and once the kid put his flower in the barrel of the kid looking just like himself but tense and nervous, the authority of the Pentagon psychologically was dissolved. Fifty years later, the ritual levitation of the, the Department of Defense enacted by Hoffman, Ginsburg, Rubin, Bowen, and thousands of others is recalled as one of the most unusual acts of political theater in American history. And if you're not sold on all this, what about the Maharishi effect? If you don't know about the Maharishi effect, I'm going to tell you about it right now because it's fucking crazy. Basically, the Maharishi effect comes from different studies, uh, this one particularly at Maharishi University of Management, where large groups of practicing, large groups practicing advanced transcendental meditation were associated with significant reductions in U.S. homicide and urban violent crimes during an intervention period. <sighs> Why am I crying? <sighs> so if you aren't familiar with the effect, it comes from a study where large groups practicing the Advanced Transcendental Meditation Program were associated with significant reduction in U.S. homicide and urban violent crime rates during an intervention period of 2007 to 2010. So this study was done by Maharishi University of Management during 2007 to 2010. Many studies have been done like this. However, this study had uh, a group that was larger and it went on for a little longer than most of the other studies. So it has been replicated. And it says that when the size of a group of advanced TM, Transcendental Meditation, SIDHI program participants exceeded the threshold predicted to reduce negative trends, 
there was a significant shift in the U.S. national homicide rate and urban violent crime. Relative to the baseline period of 2002 to 2006, the drop in the homicide rate was 21.2% and 18.5% for violent crime. 5.3 per year for national homicide and 4.6 per year for violent crime as another way to quantify those numbers. Researchers estimate that 8,157 homicides were averted by the highly significant shift from an increasing to a decreasing trend in homicide rates. The Maharishi effect was first proposed in 1960 by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who introduced the transcendental meditation technique. This hypothesis was first confirmed by published research in the 1970s and 80s when it was observed those cities that had 1% of the population practicing transcendental meditation showed significant positive trends. Just 1% impacted an entire population. The Maharishi effect was found to be even greater when the advanced TM city program was introduced with observations suggesting that just the square root of 1% of a population could increase harmony and improve diverse measures of the quality of life in society. There have been nine peer-reviewed articles compromising 14 studies that have now been published that support this hypothesized effect. While the earlier studies were based on groups during their advanced meditation program for periods of several weeks or months, this current study was for a number of years, giving researchers an opportunity to study potential long-term changes. So, I wonder why they stopped. Or, I wonder if they did stop. Um, I wonder if... There's an email list we could get for the practitioners in the study. Send them a little message and just see what they're up to now. Um, I wonder what else we could get people to meditate on and how we could change the world. So, maybe there are thought demons and thought angels and egregores and Watiko and all these things. Maybe that sounds kind of silly. And maybe a lot of this is. But... Consider for a moment that even if nothing else, there there's a certain kind of alleg- allegory for us to give life to ideas that are difficult to conceptualize. This is an important thing to understand as a philosopher, I think, or as someone that is interested in philosophy, as someone that's interested in existentialism, uh, asking questions about life, things like that. Um, I don't want to get into the whole psychic vampires topic, even though it's a lot of fun, and what's even more fun is the Alex Jones videos of him just yelling about psychic vampires and all this crazy stuff, or I guess stuff that sounded crazy when I heard it originally, but I kind of jive with now. Um, but just ask yourself this, have you ever felt infected by someone else's mood, whether it's positive or negative. Maybe they were excited about something. They just received some good news. Maybe they were angry about something and portraying that to you. Um, In simple terms, it's basic empathy, but it can even reach beyond that. And the little remnants of ideas that others leave in our heads can grow like seeds planting or sprouting into trees. Or maybe you've watched something particularly gruesome or grotesque and it affected you deeply even after you turned it off. There's all types of ways that things can creep into our psyche, and I think it's important that we think about our mental nutrition, we think about the stuff we're putting into our minds, 
Uh, we think about, I mean, I don't that much as I should, but just social media, uh, technology, just the stuff that the ha- the little habits you're falling into and the little snacks that you're giving your mind, um, give your mind something better to eat. And <laughs> I don't know. Um, do things that feel pragmatic to you, I guess. Do, um, use this, use this egregore idea to make things better for yourself. Maybe all of us listening or anyone listening to the podcast, maybe we can all create an egregore collectively that, like the Rosicrucian one, it could be the egregore of this podcast and it could be something that we all tap into to to get inspiration and to feel connectedness to feel like our thought forms have a place to go they have a this cosmic hangout and it's actually pretty cool